0: Must preface by saying I was was not snooping, all right. But I was at a, a friend's house, a close friend of mine, and uh, I was I was sitting in their living room, and next to me they had piled all of their mail in just a heap, and the very top piece of mail on there was written in all red ink, and it was from a state prison. And so I asked my friend, uh, you know, is there there something that you need to to tell me here with this? Uh, You know, what is? And uh, my friend, uh, they explained that they actually have a childhood friend who is spending time in solitary confinement at a prison, and they write letters back and forth. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And this friend also has experience working in a psych ward, and we were just talking about that. And what I took away from the conversation that was actually most interesting was not Uh, this friend's experience of of visiting people in solitary confinement, but my friend's insights on how many people suffer from the kinds of effects and the negative experience of solitary confinement who are perfectly free, who are walking around. And it's, you know, you do, I, I did a Google search on just loneliness and aloneness and the search results are, are, they're just interesting. You get things like, loneliness can be deadly for Americans. Can you die from loneliness? Loneliness is harmful to our nation's health. Did you know that loneliness is lethal? Loneliness rivals smoking and obesity as health risks. The loneliness epidemic. You don't have to be in solitary confinement to experience the effects of aloneness and loneliness. And why is that? the the reason scripture gives in both Old and New Testament is that it compares us over and over again to sheep. And sheep, when things are are good and there's uh, quiet waters and green pastures, they're perfectly content to hang out with each other. But when something bad happens, when there's a storm or a predator like a wolf, sheep, they don't huddle together in clusters to defend themselves like elephants do, or run away together, blending into one another like a bunch of zebras. Rather, sheep, they scatter. They isolate themselves. They run away from all the other sheep. They run away from their shepherd, and they become alone. They scatter. And scripture compares us to these sheep over and over again. We have this this instinct to scatter. Uh, we the predators, the, the wolves or the storms, so to speak, uh, there's three of them, really. There's, there's our own sin, which causes us to go off by ourselves. There's, there's the sin of others that drives us away from other people. and then there's what we'll just call the world, the, the chaos of existence that can cause us to isolate ourselves. And that is why uh, we're resuming this week our series on church membership. Church membership is important. It's in the New Testament over and over again. And church membership, what it does is it identifies who's in the church and who's out of the church in a very formal way. So in a, the coming months, we're going to have a time where we'll ask you to commit formally to CityGate Church. There'll be a covenant. There'll be promises that you make to CityGate and promises that CityGate Church makes to you. And then you'll stand somewhere, probably here perhaps, and you will be formally and publicly recognized as a member. And the goal of that is that CityGate cannot be in charge of every church, or excuse me, every Christian in Portage or in Kalamazoo and in the world. We have, to be, we have to know who we're responsible for. You have to know who you're responsible for. And we also have to know because we are like sheep, and sheep scatter. And so we need to know when somebody who we're responsible for is isolating themselves, that, hey, we're, we're responsible for that person. They're, they're running away. They're scattering. We need to bring them back. We need to know who those people are. It's a formal commitment because we don't want you to be isolated, right? You can survive in solitary confinement, but you can't thrive and Jesus said, I come to give you life and give you life in abundance. So at City Gate, we don't want you to survive. We want you to thrive. We want to enable you to do that. And you might ask, you know, Cole, it's, it's spring ahead Sunday and I'm here in church. I'm, I'm obviously very committed. <laughs> right? I'm in the first service even. I'm more committed than anybody else that's going to come next service. I'm already all in. What's the need for this, this formal Declaration, why can't I just be committed? Well, again, because when things are going well, it's easy, but it's when, right, your sin, the sins of others, and the world, those are the things that come in and scatter us. And Jesus says in Matthew 10 27 that I'm sending you out into the world like sheep among wolves. So it's not a question of whether or not things will get hard, it's a question of when. It's a question of when. And it's more difficult than just being a church member. I'm not saying, all right, everybody, you know, you're here, and the, the goal of this message is that I want everybody to just become a member of CityGate. That would be great, but that doesn't always deal with the problem of of scattering, right? Because there's, there's no... Uh, uh, police, right? There's no uh, church membership police. Thank, thank God, right? <laughs> you know, for, right? if you if you want to go, you can you can go. If at the end of the day, your church membership, which is uh, something that that you show, something external, is not reflective of your heart, if it's not something in you working itself out in church membership, it's really just useless. We don't want you just to be church members. We want you to be happy to be church members, because if you're not dealing with this instinct to scatter internally, then you're just going to do it anyway. The formal declaration, the formal commitment is not going to matter at the end of the day. And so what I want to do this morning is look at that. What goes on inside of our hearts when we isolate ourselves? What goes on when we decide to scatter? And what Scripture says at the end of the day, the reason we're like sheep, the reason that we have this instinct is that our hearts are prideful. They're prideful. And pride very simply is, it's a focus on self. It's a very simple way to define pride. It's a focus on self. And we have to be careful. We have to be smart about this. We have to study pride in depth so that we can rightly identify it in our hearts and get rid of it and oppose it and resist it. And so pride, it has, it's, has two sides, right? There's, there's two sides of the same coin. Pride has two hands, a part of the same body. And the, the first of this is a high pride. High pride, which says, I can do it myself. Or even more so, I can do it myself without the church. And it manifests itself when we, when we sin. right? Perhaps you have some kind of um, habitual sin struggle that you you've dealt with in the past but right now you you're doing fine with it but but down the road right you relapse into it and it's worse than it's ever been before what what pride is going to do is it's going to it's going to scatter you it's going to say you know I can fix this by myself you know I don't need to bring other people into it it's that's messy and shameful I, I'm going to fix it myself or worse yet I don't need to fix it I can just do it myself I can keep being a member here, it's fine. It's it's just this one area of my life. It's all right. I can I can do it myself. That's what high pride says when we when we sin. But high pride also works when we are sinned against. It works against us and scatters us in that way. All right? So you're at the city game basket city gate basketball game and you're down by one point and it's the very end and somebody fouls you, you get two free throws Right? And if you're anything like me, you miss them both, and uh, the game is over. And uh, there's, that, there's that one guy on the team, though, and he, you know, he just, he's always so intense, and he, he can't let it go. Right? He, he brings it up. He's passive-aggressive, or he's not passive-aggressive, he's aggressive-aggressive, and actually says something that is very direct. And what Pride says is, you know what, I can do life without people like that. I can do life without the church. If that's the kind of people who are in the church, who are in CityGate, I definitely, I don't need that. I can do life without the church. Or it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be sin. It has to be, it can be, you know, you really need a second car right now, and your boss is offering you time and half pay on Sunday mornings by God's providence. Wow, that's amazing. You know, I'll just, I'll work that for a little while. I don't need to be in church on Sunday mornings. I'll just go and do that so I can get this car. Or, you know, I spent so much time serving in church last Sunday and the Sunday before and the Sunday before, and midterms are coming up, and I'm just going to take a little break because I really need this grade. I really, I just, I'm going to take a break for a little while, and I'm going to go off and do this. Or I just had my fourth kid, and I could just use a couple of Sundays sleeping in. Right? Yeah. (laughs) And I don't, you know, I just, that's all I need. I just need a little more sleep. And so, slowly but surely, I just need it for a week or a couple of weeks. And pride in that way, it's a focus on yourself. It's a focus on, I can do life without the preaching of the word on Sunday morning. I can do life if I miss connect groups several times. I can do it without this or that. It's a focus on self. It's a high pride that sends us off in our own direction on our own. And makes us vulnerable. And we see this kind of high pride very clearly demonstrated in the book of Daniel. I'm gonna read a few verses from Daniel. Daniel chapter 4, it says in verse 28 All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was king over Babylon, a huge empire in that time. And it says, At the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, the king exclaimed, Is this not Babylon the Great? That I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory. Nebuchadnezzar is, look at what I have done. Look at what I have accomplished without anyone else. Look at me. And this is what happens to him. While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people and live with the wild animals. And you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. At that moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and nails like bird's claws. And that's a a weird, interesting story. And what it demonstrates is what high pride does. What is the consequence of Nebuchadnezzar's high pride? It says twice he's driven away from people. He's isolated. And he becomes, I wish it would have said sheep. It says cattle. That's, that's okay. Right? He, be, he becomes like an animal. He becomes subhuman. He ceases to be fully human because he's isolated, because he's alone, because he's driven away from people. And that's what pride will do. But there's a, a second kind of pride, and it's a little sneakier. It's called a low pride. And low pride says, I can't do it myself. It's still a focus on yourself. It says, I can't do it myself, and it can say that with the church. I, I can't do it myself even with the church. You know, even, even if I tried my hardest, you know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't overcome that sin struggle. Even if I, you know, was in the body, it it just wouldn't matter. So I'm just going to go off here and do my own thing. I'm going to indulge in that sin. I can't beat it anyway. I can't do it. Or, you know, I can't forgive that Citygate basketball player. I just, I can't do it. He's mean. He's a jerk. He's like that all the time. And even if I got some help, I I just, I can't forgive him. I, I can't do this myself. Or, you know, I just, I can't You know, be okay and not have some kind of sleep or have this second vehicle or get to that grade. I I can't I can't do it myself. I I can't do it even with the the church. It's a it's a low pride, it's still a focus on self, but in, in a negative sense. And we see this in the gospel of Matthew with Judas. Judas who betrays Jesus and out of that he gets 30 pieces of silver and he sees Jesus betrayed. And this is what Matthew records for us. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was full of remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, he said. What's that to us, they said. See to it yourself. So he threw the silver into the temple and departed. Then he went and hanged himself. Judas here is very prideful and it's hard to see. But what he does is he listens to the advice of the chief, chief priest, and he doesn't, he doesn't run to the cross where he would surely have been forgiven. He doesn't run to one of his good friends, Peter or John. He listens to what the chief priests say, which is, see to it yourself. And what does he do? He goes away into a wilderness, and he destroys himself. It's a low pride. It's more subtle. It's, I can't do this. I, I, can't, I can't be forgiven you know, even if I were to, I, I can't do it. And it still, it drives us into isolation. And so what is, the, what is the opposite? What are we working towards? We want to, right, church membership. We don't want to just be church members externally. We want to deal with our hearts with that instinct to be driven away into isolation by pride. So what do we, what do we need to work on inwardly that we can work out, outwardly, into church membership? And it's what the Bible calls humility, Humility. Humility is, it's the freedom of self-forgetfulness. It's where you're not focused on yourself, it's where you're focused on others. C.S. Lewis, he said, if you were to meet a humble person, you wouldn't walk away saying, wow, that person was really, really humble. You would walk away saying, wow, that person was really, really interested in me. there's There's a difference there. Humility manifests itself in a, not a focus on yourself, but in a focus on other people. And that's where we come to our, our theme verse this morning. We're not uh, you know, going through one particular passage. We're looking at many passages. And we get to James 4, 6, where James says, God gives grace to the humble and he opposes or resists the proud. And so you know, if we want to be church members, we, we need God to be for us, right? We need him to give us grace. We need him to, to. that's really what grace means in, in that context in James 4, 6, is that God is, is for us. He's for our good, and we, we want that. We don't want God to resist us, but God does resist us if we're proud. So here's where, all right, what do I need to do, Cole? What do I need to do to be humble? What do I need to do so that God will, instead of resisting me, he'll be for my good. What can I do? And we get to a, a problem here. And, and the problem is that we, we can't humble ourselves. We can't humble ourselves because as soon as you start to think, well, how, how can I how can I humble myself? What should I what are you doing? You're you're not you're thinking about yourself. Right? You're you're focusing and, and planning. What what can what can I do? How can I do this? And then even when you go out and you interact with other people. You're, how am I doing at, at being, being humble towards them? It's, it's this, this cycle of you're, you're stuck on yourself. And I think a great way to illustrate this, um, I don't know, I might get in trouble for this, but I, I'm gonna read a, a, a short um, section from one of my favorite books, very brief, because I think it, it adequately demonstrates what our lives are like when we go and we try to uh, be humble and just work on it and work towards that. Uh, the book, it's, it's called The Phantom Tollbooth. It's very good. Whether you're 5 or 65, you should, you should get yourself a copy. And uh, there's these three characters in the, in the Phantom Tollbooth, and their names are, are Milo, Talk, and the Humbug. And they're, they're traveling along, and they meet this man, and they don't realize it at the time, but they find out later that this man is actually a demon, and his name is the Terrible Trivium. And he is the demon of petty tasks and worthless jobs. But he's, he's very kind to them initially. And, so, and he has a few favors he'd like them to do. And so they're, they're more than happy to oblige. So he says to them, For there are just three tasks. First, I would like to move this pile from here to there, he explained, pointing to an enormous mound of fine sand. But I'm afraid that all I have are these tiny tweezers. And he gave them to Milo, who immediately began transporting one grain at a time. Secondly, I would like you to empty this well and fill the other, but I have no bucket, so you'll need to use an eyedropper. And he handed it to Tok, who undertook at once to carry one drop at a time from well to well. And lastly, I must have a hole dug through this cliff, and here is the needle to dig it. And the eager humbug quickly set to work, picking at the solid granite wall. You see, when we, when we try to humble ourselves, it's like taking a pair of tweezers and trying to transport the sleeping bear dunes from the, the west side of Michigan to the east. It's like taking an eyedropper and trying to fill up Lake Michigan so that we can put it in Lake Huron. Like we can kind of make progress, but not, not really at all. And so, the, the best thing about the Bible is that it's good news. It's not good advice. Good advice would be, you know, put away that needle and pick up a pickaxe, or put down those tweezers and pick up a shovel, right? That's good advice. But the gospel, it's not good advice. It's good news. And the, the good news that I want to show you is back in Daniel. For for um, Judas, we don't know, you know, what what happened to him uh, Will we see him in heaven or not? We don't know, but we get a little more with Nebuchadnezzar. It says, But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up into heaven, and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified Him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, What have you done? At that time, my sanity returned to me, and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My, adversary, or my advisors and my nobles sought me out, and I was reestablished over my kingdom, and even more greatness came to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of heavens, because all his works are true and his ways are just. And here is the good news. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. That is not good advice. That is good news. That is Jesus showing up and saying, put those tweezers away because I have a bulldozer. Put that needle away because I have dynamite. That's good news. God is able to humble you. God is able to humble you. And how does he do that? Well, it says Nebuchadnezzar twice, it says he looked up into heaven. And we don't know what he saw there, but there is a man in the New Testament named John, and he looks up into heaven, and he has a vision, and it's recorded for us in the book of Revelation. And one of the things he sees is this, then I looked and I saw one like a slaughtered lamb sitting in the midst of the throne. I like a better translation. It says, I saw one, a lamb standing as slain, standing as slain. He looks up and he he sees Jesus and he sees John and he sees Jesus in heaven and Jesus is bearing the, the marks of the cross. And that is good news. That's what what humbles us. What humbles us is when we look to the cross and we see Jesus there and he's suffering the the wrath of God, the most pain any human has ever experienced. And what what are his concerns? His concerns first for even going there was that he would do the will of the Father, right? And then he looks out and he is concerned for his disciples and his mother. And he honors his mom and he says, You know, mom, here's John. John, take care of mom. He's not concerned. He's not focused on himself. He's focused on others. The people who nailed him to the cross, who put him there, he's concerned for them. He says, forgive them, Father. He's concerned for their eternal state, even though he is suffering so intensely. We see him in Luke, and he is turned, and he's counseling and giving assurance of salvation to a thief on the cross next to him. He's completely others focused, right? Completely others focused on the cross. And when John sees that in Revelation, he goes on and and all the the different creatures in heaven that we don't have time to go through, they they all say, you are worthy. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood, From every tribe and language and people, a people, a nation, you made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on earth. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. When we see Jesus on the cross, it causes us to forget ourselves. It causes us to focus on him and in doing so, focus on others. That's the gospel. That is the good news. However, if you look at James chapter 4, it's interesting that James goes on, he gives, he says, you need to be humble, and then he gives a bunch of commands. And one of those commands in verse 10 is, humble yourselves. So, oh man, I got to re-preach this whole message because James says I'm doing it wrong. Like, you know, you need to humble yourselves. And, And the key to this verse is that God can Give us commands that we cannot live up to. He, can, he has the authority and the right to give us commands that we cannot accomplish apart from himself. That's why James also says, draw near to God. Cleanse your hands. Be miserable and mourn and weep. That's the response of somebody who cannot humble themselves, is to weep and to draw near to God. And we, we do have a fight. It's not that, all right, I'm ready to be humble. No, that's not how it works. It's not completely passive, right? It's, it's the fight to place ourselves in God-ordained paths of blessing. That's the fight for humility. It's the fight to place yourself in God-ordained paths of blessing. That's, that's the fight for humility. It's not, I need to be humble, I need, how can I? It's place yourself in places. You can't coerce God to make you, you can't make yourself humble. You can't make God make you humble. But you can place yourself in God-ordained paths of blessing. And one of those is church membership. Don't don't wait until you have it all perfect and you're perfectly humble internally to, to practice that, to make that, that apparent and public through church membership. Because then you're, you're never going to be that. You need to, to want to be humble. You need to want to want to be humble. And you can do that through becoming a church member. Church membership is one of those God-ordained paths of blessing. And it's through church membership that God makes you humble. And I'll end with these two things. Here are two benefits of church membership, two ways in which God makes you humble when you're a member of the church. The first is that you give permission to receive reproof from others and also to, to give it. You give permission to, when you are wandering like a sheep and you're isolating yourself, you give permission to other people to say, hey, you know, come on back. And to, to sit with you and to fight your sin and to fight for reconciliation and forgiveness and to say, you know what, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I don't have as much money as I want. I maybe... I'm not smart enough to get the grades I want, but I'm going to be in church on Sunday morning. I'm going to be connected to the people of God because that is what is most important. It gives permission for, it gives you, you give, sorry, you give your permission to other people to reprove you, to bring you back to where you need to be, and also to give reproof to others. And what you might be thinking is, man, everybody needs to become a church member because I've got some things that I want to say to some other people to get them back. Cause, and if that's your attitude, here's the, the second way that God humbles you. It is uh, in Proverbs chapter 10, uh, Solomon, he says, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over sin. And so if you're like, oh, I just, that person, they really need that reproof. What you actually need to do is you just need to cover that in love. You just need to cover that sin in love. You just need to love them. You just need to look past them. And you might think, well, isn't that, isn't that bad? Cole, shouldn't, you know, you just said that, that uh, you know, aloneness is lethal, sin is, is, is bad. We need to reprove every, each and every sin. And that's just not always the case, right? When, when Adam and Eve sinned, God showed up, and what did he do? He, he gave them a covering. He said, you're not doing a good job covering up your sin, but here, I'll, I'll help you. I'll, I'll cover it up for you. Covering sin in love is an excellent option. And actually, that's the option we should take most of the time. Most of the time, the fight to place ourselves in God-ordained paths of blessing for humility is the fight to overlook people's offenses, to cover sin in love. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to take communion. And as you're taking communion, notice who comes up. don't don't be in a little spiritual cocoon in your Bible. Look at the, the people around you. Look at the people who are taking the same bread and the same cup and whose sins you need to cover with love because they've been forgiven by Jesus and that's what ultimately matters.